Greetings in Jesus name. Welcome back to our heart to heart conversations. It is Wednesday night and one more time it is time for us to climb into the presence of the Lord. It is time for us to receive from him. It is time for us to press on. It is time for us to take one step closer to our destiny as a ministry, as a family, as a community of Jesus lovers all around the world. We are persevering. We are praying and we are staying put believing God for a revival. The Lord has promised us through our spiritual parents multiple times that this is the season of revival. This is the time when we believe that revival is in the air. And it is necessary my dear friends that we understand what does it take for us to prepare towards that revival. Sometimes we can pray for revival and believe for revival and expect revival without understanding what it truly is. I hope that that will change for some of us tonight. Beginning this day, we will have a fresh understanding and a revelation of what revival truly is. And in the days to come, I'd like us to study different revivals in history. And the more we study, the more our hunger needs to grow, the more desperate we need to become to see the same level and even greater things manifest in our home, our church, our city, our nations and even other nations all around the world. As a ministry, we believe that we are planted and rooted in the presence and in the voice of the Lord and the purpose of that plantation or, or that being rooted in his presence is so that we can bear fruit and fruit that will last, fruit that will spread the length and the breadth of the nations around the world. It is necessary, my dear friends, that the result of your life, the result of your prayers, the result of your work, the result of your ministry will span the length and the breadth of nations. And tonight we are here believing for nations one more time. But let's take some time to understand what revival really is. If you read Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 14, we see this declaration. It says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. When you awake, when you are awake, when you come back from a state of sleeping to a state of being awake and active and alert, the Bible says that the light of Christ will now begin to shine on you. So many times we expect revival to be something that the world will experience. Whereas, truth be told, revival is not for the world. Revival is for the church. What does revival actually mean? It comes from the root word revive. You don't revive a thing that has always been dead. You revive something that once was alive but now is dead and that is where you spend all your energy, all your efforts, all your hard work in trying to revive that one thing that you have 
visible sign and proof of life in the recent history. And the church is the institution, is the only place that life truly exists on the planet earth. And if anything needs revival, it is not the people of the world, it is the church that needs revival. The purpose of revival is not to uh, make sure the whole world experiences uh, something. It is to make sure that the church rises back up, becomes strong, takes up its position in the world around us. And when the church becomes alive, when the church becomes awake, it will automatically function with the light, as the light, as the salt that it is supposed to function in the world around it. We think that the answer to the broken, hurting world around us is a revival. No, the answer to a broken and a hurting world around us is a church that is awake and active. And revival is what brings life back into the church. Revival is what causes dead things to wake up, asleep things to uh, be be risen and be woken up and be uh, propelled into a momentum. Now you may ask me, Pastor, my church is awake. My church is praying. My church is desiring for a revival. Why is it that we haven't seen any change in my city? My dear friends, it is necessary that when you pray, when you prophesy, when you declare your prayer, and your uh, preaching, it has to be in such a way that the rest of the body of Christ in your city gets impacted as well. It is not enough that just one church or one small community of believers just rise up. You may be the reason for everyone else to be awakened. You may be the voice and the channel for others in your city and your nation to rise up and believe and pray for the same thing that you're praying for. But it is necessary that everybody in the nation, the church as a whole, rises up and takes up its place for the nation to see a change. And let me explain this from this particular scripture. It says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead. It's almost saying that somebody that is sleeping, a church that is sleeping is equivalent to a dead church. A church that is not active, a church that is not constantly progressing, a church that is not aggressive, a church that doesn't have a constant real walk with God is a dead church. We may think we're just taking a nap. We may think we are just taking a break. We may think, wow, this is a season to quarantine and uh, just, you know, take a break from all kinds of ministry and services and everything. Let's just take some time off. No, this is not a time for us to sleep. This is a time for us to rise up like never before. And one of the things that we need to pray tonight is that Lord cause the church at large not just in my city, but in my nation. Let the church rise up and pray one more time. Everything that is putting our churches to sleep, everything that is putting our churches in a passive 
non aggressive mode let those chains fall off in jesus name everything that is keeping them busy in other things let it be replaced with a divine passion and an enthusiasm for the presence of god you know the story of how uh, the disciples they they slept when jesus expected them to be awake and alert and watchful and prayerful these guys they went off to sleep of course they had a very busy and a challenging day but these guys they used those things as excuses to remain in a state of slumber and the lord is speaking tonight to a church like that the lord is declaring this call over a church like that and he says awake o sleeper stay out of that temptation to be passive because when you awake you're not just waking up from sleep you're also rising up from the dead you're also coming back to life it says that when you do that the light of christ will now shine on you you know what we understand about revival we think that there will be a move of god that god's light will come there will be a crazy anointing some glory outpouring and then the church will awaken but that's not true the bible says when you awaken when you rise up from the dead then the light of christ will shine on you don't wait around for a revival hoping that someday somewhere there will be a revival move and then our churches and our cities will spring to life no it is our responsibility to make sure that we remain awake it is our responsibility to make sure that we are not allowing any passiveness any lethargy any tiredness that we remain watchful and alert all the time and when we have a lifestyle like that when we have our churches tuned in to the heart of god on a regular basis that is when we will see the light of god shine upon the church what happens when light is shining on an object is that that object becomes the center of attention in that room those of us who work with lighting on the stage for a sunday morning service we understand that when the entire room is dimly lit and the light suddenly is focused on a worship leader or a preacher it is to show that now this person needs to have our attention and that is what the lord is speaking to the church he says when we awaken when we are risen from the dead from a, a state of sleeping and lethargy when we are awake and active then you and i we will become the center of the world's attention because christ he will shine his light on you christ will cause his light to be reflected in your house in your church in your ministry all of a sudden people will want to hear from you all of a sudden people will want your opinion all of a sudden they will want your answers and your solutions and your help and and all of a sudden you will be necessary you will be required you will become essential in your city in your nation you should understand that 
reaching this place is not going to be easy for us, especially if we have a set pattern, if you're familiar with the system and we've become religious, it's not going to be easy. There are all kinds of traditions that we'll have to break. We cannot just get used to an autopilot mode. Sometimes we know how to drive on an autopilot mode. We know how to get through our morning routines on an autopilot mode. We know even how to pray and read our Bibles and uh, go to church and say a hallelujah and an amen and put an offering and do all of that on an autopilot mode. But in this season, we need to break out of that familiarity. We need to break out of every tradition. We need to break out of every, uh, every lethargy that is going to categorize us as sleeping Christians, as inactive Christians. We need to break out of it, which means we need to repent. You know that repentance from sin and humility of heart is an essential precursor for revival. No matter which revival we are talking about, every revival, there has been people that will humble themselves. There will be people that will repent of their sins. I'm not talking about people in the world. I'm talking about people in the church. People in the church that would repent of their lukewarmness, that would repent of their lack of prayer, that would repent of the sin or the state of sin inside the church. They would repent of failures. They would repent for their leaders. And every time that there is repentance in the church, in the family of God, that is a precursor. That is like what is setting up the stage for a revival in the church, in the city and in the nation. My hope is that when we come every Wednesday night into the presence of God and every other night when we pray together with our respective churches, communities, that we would come with a humble heart. We would come with that desire to repent, not just for our own sins, but for the sins of our churches, our communities, our cities, our nations, for all those times that we have taken God for granted. You know, Sometimes when we are talking about repentance, we just think that oh, we are talking about some big sins here. Sins like uh, killing somebody or stealing some money or lust or anxiety or greed, all of those kind of sins. But do you know that the sin of the majority of the church is that we have taken God for granted, is that we have taken his presence for granted. And in doing so, we have made him equal to everybody else and everything else. And that is the sin of idol worship. That is the sin of demeaning God, of giving the worship that is due to Him, the attention, the devotion that is due to Him, to someone else. How can we see salvations and, and revivals and breakthroughs outside the church when we are not willing to repent and change on the inside of the church? It cannot be. It cannot be. This has to be a season when we change on the inside. See, salvation of souls on the outside is a natural outcome. It's an it's a automatic result of a revival or in the church. It is an automatic result of an awakened church. 
there is an automatic result of a church that is active that has risen from the dead the church on whom the light of christ is shining i believe that in the days to come we wouldn't have to work on all the strategies to try and win souls no all that we'll need to focus on is how much effort am i putting in to just humble myself in my church in my community in my leadership in my responsibilities how much am i available and willing to just lower myself and to the same measure that i lower myself to the same measure that i'm willing to go down to that same measure the lord will bring people into the church the lord will cause the the light of god that is shining upon you and i to now attract people into the presence of god into the church you don't need extra advertisements now i'm not against advertisements i'm not against media i'm not against any strategies i'm just saying that our primary strategy ought to be to humble ourselves in the presence of god when we don't have this and we have everything else we can't expect the lord to move when we speak a word we need to be christians believers that will come into the presence of god with a broken and a humble heart a heart that craves for souls to be saved a heart that desires for broken families to be restored uh sick bodies to be healed uh, uh you know orphaned children to be restored back to their parents we need to have hearts that desire for a change in the world around us you know tonight i just want to give you a couple of examples of a revival in the bible in the weeks to come we'll try and study revivals in our contemporary times revivals that we have heard about and we have seen in the church history but can i tell you the revival is biblical and i'll want to bring out a couple of revivals from the scripture and uh, i hope that this will make sense to you i hope that we can pray together believing god for a scriptural revival in our day and time the first example of revival that i'd like to bring to you tonight is from the old testament this one's my favorite one i have preached about it studied it and spent a lot of time just investigating the nature of this revival i hope that you can do your own homework and pray and believe god for a similar grace upon our lives too this is the revival under the king hezekiah in the old testament let me read the scripture to give you a glimpse of what happened during this revival the bible says in second chronicles chapter 30 and verse 26 there was great joy in the city for jerusalem had not seen a celebration like this one since the days of solomon king david's son so this is talking about a time when history was recreated which means there was life there was glory there was the presence of god now it had been recreated or revived there was a revival of the old flame this was under the leadership of king hezekiah 
It says that such joy, such glory, such manifestation of God's presence, it has never happened in Jerusalem since the days of King Solomon. Now, you and I know what happened in the days of King Solomon when he built this temple for the Lord and the glory of God ascended in such a glorious manner. And everybody in the nation, they worshipped him. And there was visible signs of God's favor upon that nation. The Bible says that during the days of King Hezekiah, there was a revival of the old glory encounter that happened during the days of King Solomon. Isn't that amazing? I want to explain to you what went into the making of this revival. You should definitely take some time to read from 2 Chronicles chapter 29, 30 onwards to understand the whole nature of this revival during the days of King Hezekiah. The more we study this, the more we believe for this, the more it will manifest for us. The first thing that I have to have to mention here is that God, he always, he uses a man or a woman. It is a myth that some people say that he will use a nameless, faceless generation. No, it is not true that God will use somebody that doesn't have a name, that doesn't have an identity. Here is the Lord using a man, Hezekiah. He was just 25 years old. He wasn't very experienced. He wasn't very knowledgeable or wise like King Solomon. He was a young man. But the Bible says God used this young boy, this 25-year-old man, this 25-year-old boy to bring a revival in the nation of Israel, which in fact in scale in the magnitude, in the uh, outcome of it, represented the revival during the days of King Solomon. Now, I believe that some of you are going to be catching a spark in your spirit tonight. Wherever you are, when you're listening to this word, God is going to ignite in you a passion and a desire for revival. And you will go searching for things that has happened in history. And you will begin to believe for the same thing in your church, in your city, and in your nation. And that's the story of Hezekiah. That this man, he believed in God, he waited on the Lord, and because he did so, the Bible says there was such great joy in the city of Jerusalem that it represented the joy that was there in the days of King Solomon. My dear friends, are you ready to be used by the Lord? Are you willing to be that man or to be that woman? God is not afraid of amplifying your life. God is not scared of putting you on the pedestal. God doesn't mind causing his light to shine on you and causing attention to fall on you. But are you ready? Are you willing? This is going to cost us everything. This is going to take a lot of preparation one thing that I have found is a characteristic of our generation is that we don't like to prepare for anything. We want everything to be given to us free of cost, without any challenges, without any struggles. There's no hard work that I am willing to put into it. 
But if you see the life of Hezekiah, this was a man who lived his life on purpose. In chapter 29 of 2 Chronicles, I think it's in verse 3, it says that as soon as he became king, in verse 3 it says in the very first month of the first year of his reign, Hezekiah, he reopened the doors of the temple of the Lord and repaired them. Which means that 25 years of his life, you know, he became king at the age of 25, right? All the 25 years of his life, this guy, he was being trained. He was being taught. You know that his mother was Abijah. He, she was the daughter of Zechariah. And Zechariah was a man of God. And I think it's because of this influence, he was trained, he was taught. And he was instructed in the ways of the Lord all through the 25 years when he was being prepared for royalty. He had not yet become king, but his ambition was that as soon as I become king, as soon as I get this position, I am going to put this into place. That for me shows how ready and prepared Hezekiah was for this revival. 25 years of his life, he was trained, he was equipped, he was prepared towards this revival that is now going to represent in magnitude the revival during the days of King Solomon. Are you wasting your time? Are you just pursuing imaginary goals? Are you pursuing earthly systems and earthly ambitions or are you truly after an eternal result, an eternal revival. One of the signs that you are pursuing a revival, that revival is priority for you, will be that as soon as you get an opening, you get a door, you get a revelation, you get an access, you will immediately use that opportunity to sow seeds for revival. Let it be a financial door, let it be a ministry opportunity. Let it be about a relationship or a new network or some new influence that the Lord is entrusting into your hands. You would immediately use that door to open and help the revival, the move of God that you are praying and desiring for. And that's exactly what we see in the life of Hezekiah. As soon as he became king, in the very first year, in the very first month, he reopened the doors of the temple and he started worship. He started preparing the place for worship. The next thing that is very interesting is uh, seen in Second Chronicles chapter 29 and verse 2. It says that Hezekiah did what was pleasing in the Lord's sight just as his ancestor David had done. Now, if we study the lives of the kings of Judah and Israel, you will always find who did they imitate, who did they pattern their lives after. And in almost every example, you will find them imitating a visible role model, their immediate father or a priest or a prophet, somebody that they could visually see and somebody that they had a physical access to. But when it came to Hezekiah, what was peculiar about his relationship 
was that he did not role model somebody that he could just see in the natural. For example, his physical father did not serve the Lord, did not do what was pleasing to the Lord. And how did this man truly still walk with God? The Bible says it is because he, he patterned his life after the life of his ancestor David. Which means this was not a physical relationship. This was a spiritual relationship. He did not have access to David and still he functioned as a spiritual son to David. The Bible says in everything that he did, he did what David would have done in his age at that particular time, in that particular uh, juncture of his life. Now, it is necessary if we need to see a revival, we need to have the correct role models. The examples that we look up to will either deter our preparation or it will amplify our preparation. And the reason is this, that when you are constantly imitating a man, irrespective of whether that person is close to you or not. See, in the case of Hezekiah, David was not there in person for him. David was not there testing him or talking to him, giving him counsel and helping him. David was far off into the history. And yet, from a far off place, Hezekiah began to imitate David. And all of a sudden, there was an impartation of the life of David upon Hezekiah. And I believe that some of you who have been following our father, who is also a revivalist, who is also a general of God, who is also a lover of God, who is passionate about revival, who is passionate about uh, prayer, who is passionate about the church rising up and the light of God shining upon the church. When you imitate him, you will receive an impartation right where you are. You don't need to be physically accessible or somebody that has conversations with him every day and night. You can do so from a very far off distance and you can still receive an impartation. It is necessary, my dear friends, that we understand the importance of impartation. If you are hoping to host a revival, if you are hoping to expect and believe a revival without submission, without godly accountability, that's not going to be possible. The Bible says that Hezekiah, he needed a role model so that he can bring about that same glory like Solomon did. See, Solomon had the same role model, King David, in person. And when another person who did not have the access that Solomon had, when he began to imitate the same grace upon David's life, he had the same result that King Solomon had in his day and time. All of this speaks to the importance and the significance of having the correct mentors, role models, spiritual parents that we can receive our impartation from, whom we can imitate, whom we can pattern our lives after. The next thing that is very important for us to understand is that preaching and teaching of the word is as important as prayer or worship is. Sometimes we think that 
revival is just about uh, praying and worshiping all day and night but if you see the story of hezekiah second chronicles chapter 29 verse 3 onwards it says he summoned all the priests and the levites and what did he do he taught them he preached to them he began to help them to see the ways of god the heart of god so the preaching and the teaching of the word of god laid a solid foundation for this revival the more that we ignore the importance of god's word god's voice that comes to us week after week the more that we devalue the voice of god the further we are from experiencing a real revival many have made a mistake of calling an all night prayer or a season of extended worship as a revival but whenever there is no teaching of god's word there is no structure laid out to help god's people to host this revival there is no heart of god being taught and caught and preached and proclaimed constantly then this revival doesn't have a good ground to stand upon and i thank god for our spiritual parents i thank god for those that bring the voice of god week after week into our lives allowing us to have a ground to stand upon so that the revival that we are about to enter into it will not be just a one time encounter it will be something that we can sustain the next thing that is very important is that there was crazy worship if you read on into second chronicles chapter 29 and 30 you would see how these guys brought sacrifices they brought so much sacrifices that there wasn't enough priests to take in all the sacrifices there was it was more than what they could handle in fact they had to ordain and purify new priests so that they can handle all the offerings that was coming into the house of god now radical giving radical sacrifices radical worship is a sign of a genuine revival do you want to see revival happening in your church then you need to pray give me the grace to be a radical giver let my worship be extravagant let my giving to the lord let my giving to my church let my giving to this move of god let it be out of the ordinary let it not be normal let it not be casual let it not be the same like i do every other time give me the grace to radically worship god with my offerings with my worship whatever it is that i give to the lord whether it is my time my resources my money everything has to be sacrificial if it is only what we are convenient to give what is convenient for us to release what is convenient for us to get rid of and we just give it to god that is not worship that is not even charity when we give to the lord we have to give what is sacrificial what is going to cost us something the bible goes on to explain that this revival it resembled the revival during the days of king solomon my prayer is that we will take lessons from this revival and we will begin to pray over it tonight but before i finish can i tell you about a revival 
that happened in the New Testament as well. This is in the days of the apostles, the book of Acts chapter 8. Again, I will encourage you to go back and read and receive all the keys from this particular chapter. But I want to pull out a few keys that we can meditate on and even intercede and stand in the gap and pray over as we enter into a season and a time of prayer. The Bible says in Acts chapter 8 and verse 8, So there was great joy in that city. Which city is this? This is the city of Samaria. Now, the Bible talks about this man called Philip. The Lord sent a man called Philip to the city of Samaria. And the ultimate result was Acts chapter 8 and verse 8. It says there was great joy in that city. Now, if you read the context to this particular revival, you will see that this happened in a time and a season when there was crazy persecution. Now, naturally, logically, we will expect the churches to shut down, to keep quiet, to just go into hiding, to go into underground mode. Nobody knows we exist. Nobody knows we are still here. We, we would expect the church to be very quiet in this season, to start to go into slumber in this season. But we see the exact opposite. We see a church that is radical in preaching the gospel in spite of the persecution. I know that you and I, we are living in a time, in a day, when all of our morals, all of our values, it's being questioned. And that's not just in countries like India, where Christianity is in minority. This is happening in the United States of America, in Canada, in European nations, all over the world, even in countries where Christianity is the major religion. It is out there in the forefront. It is happening in nations that prides itself as a Christian nation. Everybody is questioning what the Bible says. Everybody is questioning biblical morals and ethics and standing against it. This is a time and a season when the church is being persecuted all over the world. Now, what is going to be our response? Are we going to run and hide? Or are we going to stand up and preach and pray and prepare and give and work towards a revival like never before? The first century church, they were not afraid of the persecution. They were willing to take the persecution. In fact, it only made them more bold to preach the gospel. Check this out. It says in Acts 8 verse 1 that persecution was going from house to house. House to house. It's not just that these guys were being uh, checked on in the airports or at the porch where they traveled. No. Persecution was going into their homes from house to house. There were searches. There were warrants. There were arrests. There were uh, people being troubled. Families being separated. This was a crazy time that we are talking about. And yet, the church was bold to preach the gospel. They were willing to, in, in fact, die for the sake of this gospel. And what was the message that they preached? We would see this in Acts chapter 8. It says that this 
message of the kingdom of God and of the name of Jesus Christ was being preached everywhere that they went. I pray that you and I, we will catch this message. We will become well-versed with the message of the kingdom of God. We will become well-versed with the name of Jesus Christ that wherever we go, we will exalt the name of Jesus and we will preach about the kingdom of God. Now, one thing that is very particular about the revival in Samaria, where God used a man by the name Philip. Now, check this out. Samaria was not a very welcoming place. Samaria was not a place that Jews would want to go and do ministry in. The only other Jew that I know who did this is Jesus himself. In John chapter 4, you see Jesus going to Samaria and many people putting their trust and belief in him. And here is Philip. In the time of persecution, when Jews are being persecuted, when Christians are being persecuted in Jerusalem, where does he go to? He goes to a place called Samaria. And this is a place that Jews naturally, normally hate. They would never want to go to Samaria. Like how Jonah never wanted to go to Nineveh. Philip, in his natural, he would not have desired or wanted to go to Samaria. In fact, you would see the story of how John and James, they wanted to call down fire from heaven on some Samaritans. And here is Philip. The Bible says he goes led by the Holy Spirit. He goes to Samaria. This was love in action. Just like his master did, just like Jesus did, Philip was willing to be sent into a place that required him to sacrificially love this people, love this nation, love this community. Now, if we ought to see revival, we have to pray for a deep love for the city and the nation that the Lord is sending us to. We cannot expect signs and wonders and miracles and breakthroughs if we don't love that place if we don't love that people group if we are constantly criticizing and in our head we are looking down on them and we are desiring all kinds of negative things and then when we stand up on the stage we just preach about jesus we can't expect god to move we have to be compelled by love that's what Apostle Paul says, the love of Christ has constrained me. It has compelled me. It has made sure that I come to you with the gospel of Jesus. Now, are you motivated by love? Or do you want to do ministry just for the sake of having another meeting, having another church, having another revival? Or are you truly motivated by love? You and I, we need to pray tonight and say, God, Show me my Samaria and give me the love for the people of my city and my nation. Because if this grace of the Holy Spirit, if this grace of God needs to move out of my life into the city, into this nation, then it has to happen through love. Apostle Paul would say, if I have faith to move the mountains and if I can speak in the tongues of angels and men and if I can, in fact, allow my body to be burned 
And if I have all kinds of prophecies and gifts and healings and wonders and miracles, but if I don't have love, then all of the above is in vain. Tonight, we need grace to love. We need grace to love our Samarias. Yes, we are people from Jerusalem. We prefer the holiness, the sanctity, the purity, the sacredness, the, the, the uh, pious nature of people in Jerusalem. We don't like Samaria, but some of us, the Lord is going to send us into the Samaria to be the salt and the light of that place. I pray the Lord will give you divine love in your heart tonight and that love will cause you to pray, that love will cause you to preach, that love will push you out of your comfort zones and will take you to the most unexpected of places. One last thing that I would talk about, Philip, and we'll go into a time of prayer. It says, when Philip, when he finished preaching the gospel, many crowds were attracted to the gospel and a lot of people began believing in Jesus. A lot of signs and wonders were done in that city. Now, Philip could have taken ownership of this revival and he could have said, I'll just, you know, be the pastor here. I will be the, you know, one in charge, this is my ministry, this is my organization, everything is mine. But he did what was right. The Bible says that the church at Jerusalem, they sent the senior pastors, they sent Peter and John into that place. And Philip didn't have any problem in letting them in. Philip said, by all means, they are our pastors. They are the ones that are ordained by God to help me with this work. Whatever Philip did in Samaria was in submission to the home church, to the head church, to his spiritual leaders. And whenever there is this divine synchronization, this revival that is birthed in Samaria, that revival is going to stay. It will stand the test of time. So tonight, if you're praying for revival wherever you are, you need to ask the Lord, where should I be accountable? Who should be my Peter and John? Who will be my David? Like Hezekiah had a David, just like Philip had a Peter and John. Where will be the place that I will be accountable? Where will I plant myself in? Where will I be rooted? Show me that. Give me the grace to identify that and and give me the grace to be rooted and planted. And give me the grace, God, to do everything in submission to my leaders. I cannot take ownership of anything that God is doing through my life and shut the doors for anybody else to interfere or help. See, the grace on Philip's life was to spark the glory of God in that city. And yet, he needed an apostle Peter he needed an apostle John who would come and lay hands and release the presence of the Holy Spirit upon the people of Samaria. And that is where you have to understand that you need your spiritual parents. You need your leaders. You cannot do ministry without their help. Now, can God use Philip to do everything? Absolutely. Can God use Philip without the help of anybody else in the rest of the church, for sure. And yet, you and I, we are part of the body of Christ. And in the body, 
the hand cannot say just because i am the hand i don't need the feet the feet cannot say i don't need the face the face cannot say i don't need the other parts the other internal organs of the body every one of us we are dependent on each other there has to be divine order there has to be divine submission there has to be a revelation of what it means to function as the body of christ it's only in a context like that that we will experience what true revival is you know we're studying a couple of stories from scripture of how revival was in the old testament and in the new testament now in the days to come we'll try and see many more stories you know even in these stories there are definitely ups and downs there are definitely strengths and weaknesses good points and bad points we have to learn from these revivals and we have to embrace the greatness the goodness the strengths and we have to learn even from the failures we have to learn what did they do wrong where did they miss the point how did they lose that ember that fire that flame tonight as we pray let's pray over these pointers that we can stand on we can believe god for and let's pray for revival to manifest in our generation in our time frame in this season that revival we will see this revival we will see this move of god i am thankful for the revival grace upon my parents because i could feel the fire in my spirit as i was sharing and i am looking forward to everything that we will experience and see and touch and feel and enjoy and embrace through what jesus will do in the season ahead now let's go into a time of prayer